This is A Better Utopia, an audiobook podcast written and produced by Counter Culture Rebellion, read by the author. Dedication. Chapter 5 is dedicated to my big sister, Jen. Sis, I hope you know how much of a huge part you played in the man I became. Even the times you teased me, I remember fondly. Like, putting dandelions in my hair and telling me they would grow, or telling me they were squirrels spitting on me. But seriously, your wisdom, grace, and creativity shaped me into who I am. I hope you know I love you, and even though we are in different states, our conversations always make me feel like you're just down the hall from my room. Also, thank you for listening to this. It means the world. Last time on A Better Utopia. The group enjoys a bit of time off after the incidents in Boston. A bubbling romance quickly gets weird when Lilith starts to ask weird questions about dreams and the Uliam's cold faith. The group then encounters trouble in Lapis, Pennsylvania. Deanne had a smell of stale air and dust. A single oil lantern hung dimly in the corner next to a dust-covered bar. Tables with wooden chairs stacked on top made the place seem even more uninhabited. The inn-slash-tavern must have not seen visitors in months. This was odd, as towns that were close to polling stations had their fair share of travelers, both in and out. "'What the hell is going on?' Leslie demanded. The man in the black cloak walked over to a stone fireplace. He tossed a single log on the dying fire, then lowered his hood. He stared in a trance-like state at the fire as he talked. It's unsafe to go outside after sunset. What do you mean it's unsafe? I got horses that need brushed out and steam tracked as pudge. If some bandit attack, well, I think we can handle them. Leslie began to turn around to head out the old weathered front door. In an oddly calm voice, the cloaked man called out to him. It's not bandits or thugs. In fact, I'm not full sure what it is. It's not human, though. At night, it comes to lure men and women out to the forest. All we find next day, well, is just a body drained of blood or half-eaten torsos. He turned to look at the rest of the room. His face was lit up with the glow of the flames that made it feel ominous. Leslie spun around on his heel. I don't have much time for your town's ghost stories or superstitions. I got tractors that can't sit out there with steam pressure built up all night or lit fires. Oh, it's not a ghost story. Another voice, smooth as molasses, from the upper deck of the inn. Another floor where the rooms were and had an open rail platform to look down at the eating area. There a man stood, looking down at us. He wore a very nice pinstripe suit and held a boulder's hat in his left hand. He was bald with thick, dark eyebrows that were well kept. And it's not human or 
At least not anymore. Do you think that some townie spitting nonsense is going to convince me of this bull? Leslie gave the bald man a look of half annoyance and half quizzical. Oh, I'm not from around here. I'm Agent Aaron Miller of the Office of Magic and Anomaly. I've been sent here to investigate what's been going on and happening in this very small town. Well, as you can imagine, I thought the same thing too. Then I saw it myself. Well, regardless of what's out there, I gotta get out there and take care of things, Leslie humped. At least allow me to offer some protection out there. Agent Miller placed his bowler hat neatly on his head and pulled a silver pocket watch from out the front of his vest pocket. Hmm. Quarter till nine. The earliest anyone has seen the beast was around 9.30. Teamsters, get them steam tractors shut down. Lincoln, you and the Finnegan kid. Uh, and the two non-military girls and done. Well, you guys... You guys go take care of them horses. I think I saw a stable block down from here. Everybody else, pull security while we're getting the tractors shut down and offloaded. Leslie pushed open the door and stomped outside. The town with the now setting sun took on a more sinister feel. The buildings themselves casted long, dark shadows on the ground. It could have been the lighting, or the fact that we found out that the town was haunted by some beast that gave it the eerie feeling. The horses seemed to have some knowledge that it was somehow unsafe, as they were unsettled and jumpy. Yulium, take the big red mare there. She's a strong, strumming girl, so don't you let her lead you. Girls, you two take the gray mare there. Finnegan? Grab that painted brown one and I'll grab the stallion. The big red mare was beautiful. She was the picture of power and grace on all four legs. She also seemed to be trying to get a clear read on me, as if wondering if I was a friend or a foe. I raised my hand to her nose to let her breathe in my scent, hoping it was pleasing. She reared her head as if to say, Fine, you can unhitch me, but I'm the boss. Everyone good? Good. Stick together, and if there's some beast that pops out, let the horses go. They're better at evading it than you, and if you try to lead them, you'll probably get dragged. Rebecca, go ahead and choke up on that lead just a tad bit. That gray mare, she's a sweetheart, but she's also very skittish. All right, let's get going. We walked down the road with the clap clopping of hooves echoing off the homes of the townspeople. Most had been boarded up with whatever scrap wood the owners must have found. Dirt and paper and other trash flew across the road as the wind made the old buildings groan and creak and shake. All of this played perfectly into making the town a whole lot creepier. All right, the stable's here. Finnegan, grab these reins as I head into the stables. We stood there for a moment, just in the wind, as it whipped the fabric of our clothes. I kept scanning the town, hoping to not see some foul horrible beast when out of the corner of my eye i saw rebecca just staring at me when i looked her way she quickly looked at the gray mare she had a hold of and patted its neck as if she had been doing it the whole time odd first she thanks me then she avoids me like the plague 
And now she tries to steal glimpses of me? I had my doubts of what was going on. Maybe I just managed it. But I don't know. I had to force my brain back into security mode. Lincoln walked out with a boy about the age of 16. His face was covered in acne and he was hunched over slightly as if life had been overly harsh to him. We filled him in on what we needed and he led us into the stables, which smelled relatively clean for stables. All right, let's get them brushed out. Lincoln dug into his satchel and pulled out a couple of horse brushes. Do you have any feed that we can give him? The boy nodded, and he walked away without saying a single word. Odd that they send a boy out. If there was some monster roaming around, you'd think his father or something would come out. I said to no one in particular. He's the only one left to run this place. Says his father disappeared last week and his grandfather a month before that. <sighs> Just him and his mother now, Lincoln added. Would you mind, Julian, going to the lake... I don't know, getting some water for these here horses. Oh, yeah, no problem. Take someone with you just in case. Don't want you to end up food for whatever is out there. Well, I guess if it's out there. I'll go with him. Rebecca stepped out from behind the gray mare. You got a weapon? Lincoln asked. A revolver. Rebecca lifted the side of her shirt to reveal a small revolver tucked into her pant waist. <sighs> All right. Be careful, you two, and don't take too long. Lincoln gave us a nod and returned to brushing the stallion. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. And if you wouldn't mind following or subscribing to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to, that would be awesome. Right now, I'm a one-man show, so I do it all. Writing, editing, and production. If you can, eh, share this podcast on whatever social media you use, and it would really help me out. Now, I will quit shamelessly plugging my own podcast in the middle of my own podcast, and I'll let you finish this episode. Thanks. We stepped out into the now-dying light of the sun. The water on the lake battered round as the wind continued to blow. Yet, it was another beautiful view. There was not the monster, or at least the idea of a monster. This would be the time to just sit here and stare and admire the beauty of the world. Hey, um... I wanted to say sorry. Rebecca, her voice so soft, yet it still carried above the wind. Um, for... I tried to stay cool, but in all honesty, I was a little, well, oddly, mad at her. That day in the tent, and how it got weird, you know, my, and then me and my sister had been avoiding you, and I, she said, I could swear there was a hint of worry as if she may have scared me off. I wanted to tell her, no, I didn't notice, or, no, I don't care, try to hurt her back, but... When I looked over and saw her staring at me, well, those thoughts disappeared. In a way, 
she made my knees buckle and my stomach feel as though I'd swallowed a bag of butterflies. How could a harsh word even come out of me? I choked down the lump of nerves, well, as best I could down my throat. Oh, <laughs> it's alright, we've, we've all been under a lot of stress lately. Was all I was able to get out. I know, smooth, right? Oh, thanks for understanding, she said as the wind moved her black hair in a hypnotic dance. Those blue eyes still looking at me, I, I felt my face begin to flush. We stood like that for a moment until my heart, well, it couldn't take it anymore. Let's, uh, let's go get water before it gets dark, she said, breaking attention with a shy and coy smile. Oh, okay, I said myself, trying to hide, you know, the little bit of sorrow that we could not be locked in this very moment forever, but, you know, carry on, right? I dipped my bucket into the cold blue lake, pulling out the wooden bucket out and sat it beside me. I then reached a hand for Rebecca's bucket as well. Oh, I can get it. Besides, you need to save your strength in case we face the dreaded monster. Rebecca chuckled lightheartedly. You, you don't think there's a monster out here? No, I don't. Well, why? I mean, the kid is running the stables because of what happened to his family. and That agent, well, he's here to investigate. Rebecca dipped her bucket into the lake. More than likely, that agent is here to find unregistered magic weavers. And that boy's dad is probably one. He's camping out in the forest with his grandpa and I guess whoever else in this town is a magic weaver as well. Unregistered weavers? Oh, that's right. You've been gone. Um, well, so at the start of President Gumbel's turn, he signed Bill 23, the Safe Registry Act. All the magic weavers are to register and give, well, some kind of classification of how dangerous you are. Anyway, anyone who doesn't comply are subject to criminal penalties. And as you can see, a lot of people, not a big fan of him, so a lot of them didn't register. I turned and followed her up the bank of the lakeshore. Wait, how did that happen? That, that sounds like a major civil rights violation. During the term of the last administration, a magic weaver who was more than likely blood boosting or buffing or whatever you want to call it, well, he killed a lot of people. So a lot of non-magic people got scared, and in response to that, the incoming administration campaigned for a law to protect people. Oh, how horrible. Is that why President Glover didn't win another... I froze as I rounded the corner of the stable. There, in front of the back door, stood a dark-hooded figure. The white, almost see-through, skin-covered hands were clutching at the young boy. The hood, which now covered any kind of face I could see, was buried deep upon his neck, and a stain of crimson began forming on the boy's white shirt. His face turned from pale to plaster white, and he was trying to scream mouthing some incoherent sentence that I couldn't understand, for he had no strength to produce any sound. His eyes started off in a fixed look of horror, and then began to look as though he may fall asleep. I mustered my courage and dropped my bucket of water, which spilt to the ground, pulled my rifle off my back. Whatever it was, it heard the sound and stopped 
drinking to look up at me and hiss like some deranged alley cat. It looked to be some form of she. It had a very feminine face with high cheekbones and a small chin that had blood dripping down it. Her skin was white and flaky, like she had caked on flowers stuck to her face. What made my heart stop was her eyes and teeth. She had teeth that were stained red and pointed, like a shark or some kind of animal teeth. Her eyes though, her eyes are what really sent fear into me. She had blood red irises and yellow slits for pupils, which looked like some kind of demonic goat. There had only been a few moments in battle that I've ever hesitated, and this time would be added to the list. She stood there clutching the boy, staring at me hungrily. Over our heads, crows flew and cried their approvals as they hoped to pick the now limp body of the boy clean. I don't know who flinched first, her or me. I pulled my trigger way too hard, probably due to the terror in front of me, and she dropped the body of the boy and jumped like a blur, and the next thing I knew, she was on the roof, running into the now dark sky. My bullet sailed through open air and into the old wooden door of the stable with a cracking smack. Rebecca rushed to the boy and bent down. I knew, though, by the skin tone that he was no longer here with us. She dug for a pulse and looked up at me, her blue eyes filled with fear and sorrow. What? What do we do? She cried out in fear. Tears began to roll down her face. Get inside before it comes back, and hopefully, hopefully we can figure out a way to make it back to the inn. What about the boy? He's gone. We'll have to leave him. But his family, they can't find him like this. We can't leave him like this, she yelled up in frustration, choking back a sob. I scooped up the boy in my arms as if I were merely trying to put a young child who had fallen asleep to bed. He was very light. The monster had drained all of him and just left this shell. I'll put him in the stable. Now get inside. The door slammed shut behind me. Rebecca now slightly more calm, leaned against the door and did her best to compose herself. Did you get the water? This one seems especially thirsty. Fangin popped his head out from the horse stall, brush still in hand. Forget the water. We have way bigger problems. Is everyone still in here? I yelled. Rebecca, help me barricade this door. What's going on? This time it was Lincoln who had completely walked out of the stall to see the commotion. Is, is everyone in here? A bit of panic was starting to crept up from my belly and into my voice. Myself and Rebecca began grabbing the bales of straw and anything else we could use to block the doors. Yes? Lincoln's looks changed from a calm man to someone who was about to receive bad news and knew it, like your life savings had been stolen or your favorite brother was dead. Lilith, where are you? I looked around. I could feel the panic now trying to pull me in fully. I had to get a hold of myself, but how was a man supposed to do that after staring into the eyes of, well, Medusa herself? I, I'm, I'm right here. Lilith slowly walked out of her stall. Yulian, what's going on? I turned from the bale that I just stacked in front of the main entrance to give them a full look, just to make sure that they were truly there and this nightmare was not somehow worse. It's out there. I, I saw it. What's out there? Lilith calmly asked, but with a tone that pushed for more information. What what did you see out there? I clearly had Finnegan's attention as he sat his horse brush completely down and stared with that scared Finnegan look that he normally gets. 
What happened to the boy? Lincoln pointed at the dead stable boy I had set across the, from the door. My mind raced to try to make sense of what I just saw. My mind raced to try to make sense of what I just saw. I had seen blood magic creatures before. Once human, but, but the constant practicing of blood magic had twisted the mind, body, and soul of the person into something less than human and more animal. I'd seen these things before and even fought them, but they still drove fear into my gut like a rusty knife. When we were fighting the Bolsheviks, they had figured out a way to blood buff their magic weavers, but most were still human enough that they controlled themselves. However, we ran into this unit that uncaged a creature that was no longer human. It was horrific. It had no magic weaving ability, but was powered fully by blood and misery. It killed half the battalion of us before we finally put it down. Our only saving grace and reason we won that battle is that it took out the enemy unit as well. It seemed to not care who it killed or ate, and the Bolsheviks had no idea or way to control the beasts. However, that was Volgard, not here back at home, where this type of thing was merely just stories you told around a campfire to scare each other. The last blood creature spotted in the UPC was a long, long time ago. Well, at least to my knowledge, it was a long, long time ago. Rebecca sat on one of the bales of straw in front of the big stable door she had just finished barricading. Winded by the heavy lifting, she spoke for me. <sighs> it's real. And it got the stable boy. What's real? Damn it, just tell us already, Lincoln shouted. I think he knew, but he did not want to believe it. Or at least he would not believe it until we said it. The monster that the agent told us about in the end, it's real, and, and it killed the stable boy, and it drained him of this, his... Rebecca trailed off with a blank stare. His blood. Lilith finished her sister's sentence. So it's a blood creature. Yeah, uh, something like that. It, it moves so quick. I shot at it, and it was gone before my bullet could even whiz past it. I stepped out of my shell shock and tried to regain focus. Did you hear the shot? We didn't hear anything. In fact, I don't remember hearing the wind for the last few minutes. Finnegan scratched his head in a look of confusion. So what do we do now? Rebecca hopped off the bell and stood by me, looking to me as if I had the answers. We may have to hold up here for the night. If I remember correctly, they said that they have had problems only with it at night. When the sun comes up, we can meet up with everyone at the inn. It was my best plan I had rattling around in my brain. We'll take watch shifts. Have at least two of us up and, and be able to wake the others just in case. So pair up. We should have the two girls split up the shifts as well, Lincoln added. Why, because we're helpless girls? May I remind you that I am a magic weaver? Rebecca protested. Even on the threat of death, she was not going to be viewed as weak. No, because you guys have less military experience and shooting experience, Lincoln said calmly. When were you in the military? The first great war. I was a Navy cook. Other than preparing the meals, I often found myself on deck fighting against boarding parties and pirates. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Rebecca shrunk down her stature a little bit. It's okay. Maybe the long hair and unshaved look threw you off. My brother, Douglas, and myself all served in the First Great War. 
Well, Yulium and I can take the first shift. I think after all the adrenaline in my system, I won't be able to sleep. Uh, Lilith and Finnegan can take second shift. Lincoln, you and well, I'll take an additional shift with Lincoln, I stated. You sure? I, I can take a longer shift. Finnegan puffed out his chest. Maybe he was trying to impress Lilith, because he seemed to glance her way when he said that. Let's split the difference. I'll take a few extra hours and you take some. I looked at him. He was definitely trying to impress her. Weird. How death can be so close, yet people can still want love. Maybe he just didn't fully understand the threat. Yet, look at me, I was literally just being whisked away by the raven-haired beauty next to me. Alright, alright, you guys, get some rest. Not one second after the word rest, a loud thud hit the door. We all froze in silence and looked at one another. Then it slammed the door again, this time louder and harder, so much so the dust from the rafters floated down upon us. Looking around the room, everyone's faces was froze in a look of panic and grief, except Lincoln. He calmly pulled a small silver flask from his pocket and took a swig from it. Then he took a deep breath in. Everyone, get to a defensive position and get ready, he said, taking another small swig from the silver flask. I unslung my rifle from my back. If I was going to die in this run-down stable tonight, I was going to take this thing with me. One last thud hit the wooden door, then all I could hear was the sound of my own heavy breathing. Then a voice called out, at first muffled, but familiar. Hey, you guys in there? Yellow, Lincoln! The muffled voice called through the door. Doggo, knock again. This time, the booms came faster, but still just as hard. The door creaked and groaned. Someone was trying to open it. Must be locked or locked. Hey, Rodriguez, is that you? I called out. No, it's President Gamba. Here to award it a medal of freedom. Rodriguez's voice called, dripping with sarcasm. Hold on. We'll, uh, we'll get the door open, but, uh, stay on your toes. Something's out there. Yeah, us open the door. We all quickly worked together to move the bales of straw and other items we used to block the door. Thanks, Rodriguez popped in. What's going on? Douglas squeezed himself in. Some monster is out there. Rebecca, with her eyes of fear, stared up at the tall man. Nothing's out there but a creepy old town, Rodriguez laughed. It's just a bunch of superstitious townies. Rebecca then pointed to the stable boy. He was leaned up against the wall in a sitting position, his dead eyes staring blankly into the vast openness, his face locked forever in an expression of dreaded panic, yet calm sleep. Rodriguez looked repulsed by the sight. Do you remember Volgard? I asked Rodriguez. Upon the words, his face turned pale. He lifted his hand and pushed his hair back. This was one of his tails. He would do that when he was stressed or scared. When he did, I saw the slight shaking of his hand. Yeah, what about it? He answered back cold. I could tell he was trying to hold back the fear that was starting to grow like a small fire inside. It's something like we fought there, only smaller and faster. And it may be able to do something weird with the sound, like suppress it. He swore as yet again he ran his hands through his hair. What's the plan? 
I filled in on what had happened and what the plan was. I also let him know that, unlike Volgard, this thing seemed to only operate at night. The plan sounds solid, but we'll have to send Runner back to the guys and tell them to forget the steam tractors and get inside. Douglas's deep voice filled the cold room. I'll go. I doubt any of you will be able to get to my brother and get him to listen, Lincoln answered. I'll go with you. I saw it, and I know what it can do. I stated with all the courage I had left. I'll go as well. Rodriguez drew his revolver. No, you stay. I need someone here who can shoot as good as you. Also, you still have a broken wrist. I don't need a wrist to run. Rodriguez's voice now had the sound of annoyance running through it. No, but if it gets you, then you only have one hand to fight it off. He gave me a look, but said nothing. All right. Open the door when you guys are ready. We'll leave it unlocked for a bit in case you need to make a quick turnaround. Douglas positioned himself next to the big door. Hey, Reverend, trade me. Rodriguez held up his volor, handle facing me. I unslugged my rifle and gave it to him. Thanks, man. He nodded at me, then found a good position to cover the door with his rifle. Okay. On three, Douglas. You open the door. Uliam, let's back up so we can get a running start. Luckily, they're not too far away. Lincoln drew back from the door and pulled out a pearl-handled revolver. If it would have been any other time, I would have been in awe of it. Ready? He gave me a look. I nodded, trying to look as confident as I could. Then he looked at Douglas, who grabbed the door handle. One. Two. Three. We bolted out of the large barn door right as Douglas opened it. The night air whipped through my hair as I could hear the sounds of our boots hitting the road and our heavy breathing. The door slammed behind us. We ran. One block. Two blocks. Three blocks. No monster. And as we turned the corner where the end was, there they were. Men and women were pulling their things out as teamsters were shutting down the steam tractors. We were only a hundred yards away when Lincoln began yelling out to them to give them some sort of warning. As he did, I clearly could hear his voice was hoarse and out of breath, yet he was still loud enough to wake the dead. That's when I noticed another thing. I couldn't hear the steam tractors. I couldn't hear the men and women unpacking. And the sound of the wind begin to fade out. This has been A Better Utopia, Chapter 5, Lapis. Written and produced by Counterculture Rebellion. Tune in November 5th to see what happens next in the ongoing series. And check out our Facebook page, A Better Utopia, for more updates.